reading from Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. May you be blessed upon hearing of his word. Amen. There's nothing better I think than when the church is gathered and you can hear them sing I love when um, I'm all for loud music and drums and I love it when that happens but sometimes when it just is kind of slimmed down to the bare bones and you hear the voices of God's people most of all man it's beautiful um, we are um, ending this series, and I'm excited. I was actually very intimidated by the series uh, just because I didn't know how it was going to go, but I've rather enjoyed it. That's pretty much how I base it, do I enjoy it or not, um, on whether um, um, it was successful or not. I think uh, we've done some good work here. If you look at our website, uh, not that you do that often, but if you ever did, in addition to a doctrinal statement on the website, you would find uh, that we distinguish ourselves uh, in four different ways theologically. And it's just to kind of give us, because we're not necessarily part, we're not part of a denomination, it's helpful to give us some kind of clarity or give people clarity of who we are. So we begin this way. We say, first, we're Christian. We could say Orthodox, Orthodox historic Christian, if that helps, because we know others would say they're Christian, which means we love Jesus. We are second evangelical, which means we preach Jesus. We are third missional, which means we do our best to live like Jesus. And we're fourth reformed, which in the most simplest of ways means Jesus gets credit for everything. And it's this fourth description that I think we've been focusing on in this series. And we hesitate really to distinguish ourselves with labels, but because we know the danger of labels... Uh, they can tend to be help, not very helpful and, and often pretty harmful. Um, and that's because labels usually possess kind of some negative connotations attached to them based off of people's bad experiences or misunderstandings or, or whatever. And so it's been our effort to work really hard to avoid controversy based on words of men and instead try to amplify just the grace of God in His own words. And so I hope that as you in any sermon, but with this series that you've, if you listen to it or have listened to it, that you would see that we're really just trying to uphold God's Word and just let it say what it says because we do believe it's simple and clear and easily understood, though oftentimes difficult to swallow. But this is the final uh, sermon in this series, and it will certainly never ever be the final word on grace, but I have titled it, The End of God's Grace. Now, 
by end, I don't mean to imply that God's grace ceases at some point, but that God's grace has an ultimate goal that it is aiming towards, that it is trying to accomplish. Grace we saw in the very beginning. We've been spending uh, basically five weeks in 14 verses, and we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, the very beginning, that God's grace plans. We saw God's grace redeems, and we saw that God's grace transforms and continues to reform us. And now we are speaking about the final kind of end of that, which is the grace that restores. And even though by grace we are rescued by Jesus in the present time, those who put their faith in Christ are rescued in a very real way, Salvation in Scripture is usually pointing to a completed or a future rescue. In other words, God's grace is kind of experienced now and not yet. We experience now, but there's a fullness, a completion that is going to be experienced that we do not experience yet. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.3, which we've gone over, he says, Blessed God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, which I believe is every spiritual blessing. So it's a lot, right? Everything. And then Peter says in his second epistle that His divine power has granted to us all things. So every spiritual blessing in all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So there's this sense that we are blessed now with something that we can see and experience and feel and know, and yet we are going to be blessed in the future with something we cannot see and fully know and experience yet. This is why Paul writes in those verses particularly the last verse that we're going over today, an inheritance that we will one day acquire possession of. Implying we don't have it yet. And yet he started the chapter by saying we have every spiritual blessing. You're like, okay, what does this mean? The writer of the book of Hebrews, if you ever read that, it's near the back of the New Testament, he calls faith in the great faith chapter, chapter 11, he calls faith the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance, the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things not yet seen. So, if you follow along, I believe that if when Paul wrote Ephesians 2.8.9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, he could have just as easily wrote or have written. For by grace you have been saved to a certain hope. For by grace you have been saved to a certain hope. And this, again, echoes what Peter says. We're going to be in Peter and, and Paul here going back and forth because they're, they're really complimenting one another. But Peter said the same thing. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's that word again. To an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, 
unfading, kept in heaven for you. We don't have it yet. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, by grace, through faith, we are giving a living living hope and a real inheritance that is yet to be revealed. And so I believe that as we kind of come down to the final of like the end of grace, for lack of a better title, that hope in what we'll call this future grace is intended to govern our lives now. So I want to spend time talking about three things really. What we'll call the, the source or the foundation of our hope what we're going to call the seal of our hope, because it talks about being sealed, guarantee of our hope, and then lastly, the maybe the best part, the splendor of our hope. So let's talk about the source of our hope. Hope is an incredibly powerful emotion. I don't know if I can call it an emotion, but I can say I feel hopeless. So I guess it's an emotion. It's a powerful thing, whatever it is. And I may be incorrect in this, because I did a really quick kind of search but I was wondering where hope showed up most in the Old Testament. And the book that it seemed to show up most often was the book of Job. And if you don't know anything about the book of Job, that is the story of a man who uh, is godly, has ten kids, wealthy, all kinds of things, and he gets everything taken away from him. And really, if we want to talk about the lesson of of the book of Job, it is answering the question, if man loses everything, can he still have hope in God? Or maybe just where is his hope? It's the iconic book of suffering. And the word hope shows up there more often than any other place in the Old Testament. Pastor and writer John Maxwell vividly describes the power of hope. Here's what he says. I tried to do it. I figured he did it way better than me. He says, Hope shines brightest when the hour is darkest. Hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope energizes when the body is tired. Hope sweetens when the bitterness bites. Hope sings when all melodies are gone. Hope believes when the evidence is limited. Hope listens for the answers when no one is talking. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. Hope endures hardship when no one is caring. Hope smiles confidently when no one is laughing. Hope reaches for answers when no one is asking. Hope fights for victory when no one is encouraging. Hope dares to give when no one is sharing. And hope brings victory when no one is winning. In short, it seems like hope gives. And it gives to us when we have very little or nothing left. But the truth is, the only kind of hope that can actually carry us through life, carry us through what is a broken world, is one that is beyond this world. One that cannot be taken away from this world. Most of the world is without real hope. 
because most of the world is without Christ. We must never forget that before Christ, we were hopeless. Paul says this in the book of Ephesians. He says in the second chapter, right after the great for you've been saved by grace, in verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2, he says this, Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the, fl- in the flesh called the uncircumcision... I'm just like bouncing around my words here. The uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Catch this. Having no hope and without God in the world. Before Christ, and anyone who is not in Christ, has no hope in the world. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't things people put their hope in. Apart from Christ, people put hope in all kinds of things. And by hope, I mean putting their trust in this thing to get them through, this thing to give them worth, this thing to give them strength, this thing to give them peace. People put hope in people. People put hope in position. They put hope in their health. They put hope in their beauty. But the truth is this. If you live long enough, you lose all those things. Your health. Sorry, your beauty. Gone, right? Age 30, gone. Age 40, gone more. Age 50, woo, we're bad. Money, it's going to all be spent or spent by somebody else. If you live long enough, you lose all that stuff. Even your careers, your spouses, your position, your respect, your regard, it all goes away at some point. It doesn't follow us into the next world. All those things eventually die. And you eventually, if you put your hope in that, realize the hopelessness. Peter tells us where real hope is found. In 1 Peter 1.3, which I read earlier, he says that by grace, God caused us to be born to a living hope. And then check out what he says. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Now if you again go back to What Paul said in verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 1, he said that hope began with the, he said, we who first hope, hope began with the hearing of the word of truth and believing the gospel of your salvation. It's not simply enough to hear about Jesus, to learn about Jesus, to know a ton about Jesus. It's not enough to learn what Jesus said to us. We must believe and trust what Jesus did for us. And the Bible says very clearly, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and, because lots of people confess, tons of people confess. Today, the football games, after they win, they'll be praising Jesus. Right? It's not difficult to confess Jesus. 
If you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that what? God raised Him from the dead. You'll be saved. That's in Romans 10.9. So belief in the resurrection of Jesus gives hope, right? Birth to a living hope that is more powerful than death. Something that will reach all of us. We will all die. We are all dying right now. Some of us will reach it sooner than others. Do you have a hope to deal with that? A hope that cannot be taken away from this world. A hope that cannot be taken away if you lose your job tomorrow. A hope that cannot be taken away if your spouse dies tomorrow. A hope that cannot be taken away if your reputation goes out the window tomorrow. Do you have a hope beyond this world? A living hope like that that's more powerful than death has the power to change everything. It has the power to change what we perceive about the world. It has the power to change our attitudes. It has the power to change our actions. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof that Jesus is who He says He is and that He has done what He said He would do. And the assurance of my faith, the confidence that I am a Christian, comes down to the conviction that Jesus Christ of Nazareth truly rose from the dead. As Paul writes from his prison cell in 2 Timothy, the last letter he wrote in a Roman prison preparing to die. He says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. My assurance of salvation in any Christian is in the promise that my living Savior cannot lose me. Forget talking about, can I lose Jesus? You never got Jesus. He got you. He saved you. He rescued you. He pursued you. He redeemed you. He justified you. He adopted you. Jesus doesn't lose anybody. And that's where my assurance comes from because I serve a living God. Grace, the grace that we've been talking about, the undeserved favor, the unearned favor, the love of God that is undeserved because I am a rebellious, broken, weak sinner. That grace is a position that I hope from. It starts there. And I'm assured of my salvation by the conviction that Jesus Christ overcame sin, Satan, and death proved by the resurrection. So what's the foundation of our hope? The resurrection. And when things become hopeless, when things get to the edge of maybe death, where are you hoping in? What's going to take you past that? It ain't a person in this world. It's not enough money to get the perfect doctors. It's not the perfect pill. 
It's the fact that Jesus Christ conquered death. That's where living hope is. But it gets better. In verse 13, it talks about the seal of our hope. The guarantee of our hope. God's promise to save those who believe in Christ's resurrection is the basis for our hope. And upon believing, our hope is sealed by the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Paul writes, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Right? We heard, we believed, we're sealed. Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So what's the seal? Well, most likely, Paul's using an image of the day where they had wax seals in ancient times from leaders and kings and rulers who would use that to seal what was there. A mark of ownership. So you drip down wax and you make your stamp on there. So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is described as this mark. Right? So you're marked. Stamped. Big J. Right? Redeemed by Jesus. Sealed. So what's that mean? Okay, I'm sealed. Well, that seal is partially for you, partially for everyone else. I think the mark means three things. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit has been given to you. If you confess through the mouth of Jesus Lord and believe you are God raised from the dead, you are given the indwelling Spirit person of God in you. And it marks you as first and foremost, His. You are His possession. You were someone else's possession in the devil's adoption agency. Somewhat of an orphan, right? Well, now you have ownership. You have an owner. We begin to look at Jesus as Lord. You should see Him as Master and Owner. He owns you. That's not a bad thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Or, let's put it this way. Your time is not your own, so glorify God with your time. Your money is not your own, so glorify God with, should we say, His money? Your kids are not your own. Your spouse is not your own. Nothing! You own nothing! Your entire life is God's. And so, the question is, have you asked Him what you'd like Him to do with it? We are possessed. We are owned. But even more than that, the Holy Spirit marks us as in Christ's protection. Right? We don't just have an owner. We have a guardian. No one can mess with you. The world, you read the Psalms and David constantly praying about my enemies have, are, are piling up against me. My foes hate me. My friends betray me. But we are sealed by Christ. And He's like, 
don't touch them. That's mine. If there was a seal of Caesar on some kind of treasure chest going around, usually guarded, no one touched it. That's who you are. That's who we are. That's the confidence we can go through. Yes, our war is not against flesh and blood, but the spirits. But guess what? Those spirits have no power over you in Christ. We're protected. And because we're protected, catch this, because we're sealed, you know that anything that's coming into your life that's difficult has been filtered through God's hands, and He is using it to change you and grow you and move you, not just to hurt you, not just to make you angry, not to break you, to build you. You're protected. You have to believe what Romans 8 says, right? In all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, because sometimes life feels pretty deathly, right? Nor angels, nor rulers, no things present, nor things to come, nor powers, no height, nor depth, nor anything else creation shall what? Separate you from the love of God in Christ. Nothing! What about nothing? God constantly is protecting you. God is constantly, and this is the thing in changing in our perspective of grace where I'm an adopted child. He's no longer a boss trying to get me to perform and do things or else I won't get paid. He's a Father who loves me and always, always, always gives me His best. Can you believe that? Doesn't mean the Father won't discipline, right? But it means He only disciplines those He loves. Totally different projection, perception. But not only are we as possession, not only are we protected, we are marked as being in Christ's provision. What's that mean? The Holy Spirit is doing something in us. We talked about this last week. He is a helper. And it's not just to help us do what we want. It's not to help us accomplish the plans we've set out for ourselves. It is to help us change, to look more like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, He's bringing those out. They're all there. And He will do whatever it takes to bring those out. But that is Him changing you. What is the mark that the Holy Spirit has sealed you? You are being changed. You are becoming more patient. You are becoming more loving. You are becoming more like Christ. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. But the seal of the Holy Spirit assures you that it's happening. He is going to bring out the fruit that is there. Grace is more than just a position. Grace is a power that we possess. And it's a power to persevere. This is why Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 4, same book, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So first, we're, we're established with Christ, right? We're anointed with the Spirit of Christ in order to mature and look more like Christ. 
and having given us the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee, He is ensuring and promising that His people will persevere in that. He can say, walk in a manner worthy because we have a power within us that can enable us to do that. Will we fail? Absolutely. Will it be perfect ever? Never. But it's a walk. It's a movement. Do we stumble and trip? Yes. Do we fall flat on our face? Yes. But we don't stand still. You never stand still. You are either walking away from Jesus or you're walking toward Him. There's no standing still. And so He says, walk in a, in a, in a manner worthy of what you've been called. Be who you are. Be who you are in Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us to do that. The Holy Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. And He will bring things into your life that will totally expose that. Not to ruin you, to build you. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Spirit convicts us in our sin. The Spirit speaks for us in our prayers. Praise God for that. Right? That's what the Bible says. He helps you pray. Good, because I really stink at it. Sometimes I pray before God and I sit there and go, I don't know what to say. You know what I say? Holy Spirit, please fill in the blanks. Because i got a really big blank. He promises to do that. Like you see, He promises to ensure our relationship with God continues deeper in communion, even if we don't have the words, even if it's just tears, even if it's just frustration, even if it's just silence. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our failures. He's called the Comforter. Praise God for that. I fail every day. The Holy Spirit teaches us in our ignorance. The Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit transforms us and we begin to experience a foretaste of our completion. A foretaste of what our redemption is going to look like when it's completed. See, our grace is is a power not just that It's a position we hope from, but it's a power that we hope in. It's depending upon grace to change me. That's the seal. The Holy Spirit sealing us. But then there's this awesome end of grace. Starts with a belief in the resurrection. We are given the Holy Spirit and then we're on a trajectory towards an end that is glorious. Because the truth is, as we grow, even if I become more, like the fruit of the Spirit comes out, man, Lord is just changing me. He's giving me really chaotic experiences to help me to learn self-control. Awesome! But there will still be times when I lose control. As much as He's teaching me to be patient, right? Oh man, I, I'm getting more patient. I will still get angry and impatient. As much as, as I'm being taught, and he's going, man, I'm more loving than I used to be, but I'm still a jerk at times. Okay? Love, joy, like joy, right? Oh, man. Some days it's like zippity doo Woohoo! I'm joyful. And some days I am just not joyful at all. I'm bitter. Because I'm only getting a foretaste. As much as I'm growing, as, as patient as I get, I'm still going to be impatient at times. As much victory as I have over sin, I'm still going to sin again. Maybe even in the same way. 
fact, it seems like the more I become like Christ, the more I see how less like Him I am. So in one sense, right, Paul says, we've obtained an inheritance. We've obtained a position. God made us alive. God made the blind who could see. God adopted us. We did nothing. I contributed a lot of sin, and He gave me a lot of grace and righteousness. I've obtained a position that's irrevocable. But he's also said, look, I love you so much, I don't want to leave you that way, so I'm going to grow you and make you look more like my son to not only make sure that you are thankful, but other people are too because you're really having a hard time with them. Right? The more beautiful I get, in a spiritual sense, right? It blesses others. Grace goes further. People glorify, man, you used to be a total jerk, and now you're a really nice guy. Praise God, he's the only one that could have done that. So in a sense, we've obtained an inheritance, we have a position, we have a power, but it's not the fullness of the inheritance that we're going to have. The Holy Spirit in our life, it says this is guarantee, literally our down payment. The first installment. Just a taste of what's coming. It's the guarantee of our inheritance, Paul writes, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So grace is a position we hope from. Grace is a power that we hope in. And grace is still a promise that we're hoping for. There is a future inheritance that Peter says is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's more coming. As good as things can get in this life, as even I have a fantastic relationship with, with friends or with my family or my wife or become awesomely self, that's not the max. That's not the peak. That's not completion. The salvation that is ready to be revealed is what theologians often describe or call as glorification. And glorification is the final removal of all sin from creation. Which doesn't happen at our redemption. How do I know that? I still die. There will be a day when that doesn't happen. Where there is no fear in death. There may be no fear in death now, but I'm still going to die. With as much healing as we can experience in Christ now, there are still some things that only Jesus is going to overcome then. Miseries that are only going to be eradicated when heaven comes. You think of people who um, have terminal illnesses. People who um, cannot walk. People who, like Paul, have thorns in their flesh that God says, I ain't taking away because it's making you dependent upon my grace. Zach Eswine, in a book called Sensing Jesus, which I think was really powerful for me, says it this way. He says, the presence of what is the inconsolable thing those things that aren't going to be fixed in this life no matter how hard we try. 
The presence of inconsolable things remind us that healing is not the same as heaven. Miracles are real and powerful, but they do not remove inconsolable things. Those whose leprosy Jesus healed coughed again and skinned their elbows. Those who were blind but not able to see could still get a speck of burning sand stuck in their eye. The formerly lame who could still fall and break their legs. Lazarus raised from the dead was so only to find that his resurrected life was filled with death threats. And moreover, the raised friend of Jesus would die again someday along with everyone else who had been healed by Jesus. Bodily healing in this world is not heaven. And the existence of the unconsolable reminds us of that. Reminds us that there is great healing that can be experienced in this life, but there is much healing that never will be. Right now, the human body and the mind is weak and weary and sick because of the fall. And because of Christ, one day, our bodies and not just our souls will be raised to glory to never experience suffering, sickness, temptation, or death again. And so, what has to happen in our mentality is to shift and to be reminded that our now, right now, in our lives must be governed by our then. Of what's going to happen then. Keeping our eyes on the prize. Eyes on eternity. That this world is not all there is. Because once you begin to hope in this world, believing that this is all there is, that is the path to hopelessness. Because that thing that you're hoping in will die. It will fail you. And there's only one person that will not fail you even in the face of death, and that is Jesus Christ. We hope in Christ making all things new. All things. All means all. God's plan is to glorify us. And this is not only a a spiritual restoration, it's a completely material one. And this is beautiful, and and Keller says this a lot. A lot of us have the idea of like when we imagine heaven, we imagine going up to heaven and it's like um, the Jetsons with spiritual version, like cloud cars and all these like weird things and I'm just going to run around in fields of clouds and be with Jesus and sing songs all day. Have fun with that. Okay. Now, the reality is this. The picture in the, Old, in the New Testament in, in the book of Revelation is not of us going up to heaven as much as heaven coming down to us. If you read in Revelation 21, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and He will dwell with them and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Our hope is not like the hope of this world. Most people hope for, or can be described as I say, a desire for 
future things which they're not really certain they attain, but they hope they do, right? Our hope is founded on the certainty of the resurrection. And as the Bible teaches, if we have been united with Him in His death, we shall certainly be united with Him in His resurrection. John couldn't be any more clear, the writer of Revelation, but he also wrote epistles. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. Protected. Possessed by. Provided for. Loved. Forgiven. Helped. And what we will be has not yet appeared. What? It's getting better? Oh yeah. But we know that when He appears, what we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. At our final restoration, all of creation, things visible, things invisible, will be fully ruled by God's Spirit. And what does that really mean? It means that we will be fully satisfied in God. And as we are fully... Because that's what everyone is pursuing in this life. It's contentment. Some people think it, a little bit more money will make them content. Some people think getting married will make them content. Some people think getting divorced will make them content. Some people think a new job will get them content. In the final restoration, we will find complete shalom, right? Complete peace. Deep-rooted contentment and satisfaction, and God will be fully glorified in that satisfaction. Our now can be governed by our then because we have an inheritance that Paul says, and Peter say, that is guarded by God Himself. Therefore, no one can take it away. No one can. Isn't that beautiful? I had a missionary once. He told me he didn't believe he believed you could lose your salvation, and I told him he was wrong. And I talked about the verses in John. It talks about Jesus saying, "You know, no one can snatch them out of my hand." He goes, "But you can walk out." I said, "That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard." I said it much nicer than that. But when he says no one can snatch him out of my hand, I'm pretty sure he's speaking about everyone including me. In other words, God won't let me get far and He'll grab me by the back of the collar if He has to. He will not lose His son or daughter. Ever. And the beauty of this restoration that it's not completely unfamiliar to us. It's not cloud cars and angel wings that are you know, given to us, which is really perverted and weird, right? It's none of that stuff. It's not completely unfamiliar. It is in, in very real, a very real way the restoration of what God wanted humanity to be. And we will live in a world that is, you know, we, we see people create, like, I just look at like stuff like the combustion engine. I go, dude, that's just amazing. Imagine a combustion engine designed and built by a guy without sin. We think the world right now is amazing. Imagine removing sin Everyone living and, and, and working in their gifts perfectly to the glory of God, it would be a world that would 
shock us. We can hope for minds, basically, that think rightly and bottom, bottoms, no, bottoms, I guess, too, bodies that function flawlessly. We need bottoms that function flawlessly, too. It's part of the body, you know. That's the Holy Spirit, not me. He said it, so there you go. He wanted you guys to wake up and laugh. Uh, Hearts that feel accurately. Relationships that function wonderfully. Right? Everyone gets along beautifully. Even Even work that fills you with joy. No! Yeah! It's going to be in heaven. In the new heavens and the new earth. Will there be work? Yes. And I've always wondered, I've said this before, like, if I, I'll be out of a job, clearly, but like everyone else, right? <laughs> the idea of, you ever think maybe you missed your gifting? Well, in heaven, you won't miss your gifting. Like, maybe you're like amazing at knitting sweaters and you don't know it. And the Lord's like, no, I totally made you to knit sweaters. Here you go, and you're like, Oh my gosh, I love this, right? It's amazing. You never know. Maybe you totally missed it. You're like, no, I'm a singer. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're an awesome mechanic and you don't even know. In heaven, we'll work with joy and fulfillment. Because work was before the fall. We can look forward to lives completely restored to the humanist that God designed us but imperishable without corruption and powerful. A quote out of the Lord of the Rings, which is uh, really great. Um, I think we have a slide for that, Merrick. If you don't know Lord of the Rings, you should read it before you see the movies, but if you've already seen the movies, it's ruined. But Gandalf, at the very end, appears to... uh, Samwise, who has uh, not seen him, everyone else has, but he hasn't seen him because he's been too busy trying to destroy the evil of this ring. But when he sees him, he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead because he had died. He said, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? That's a picture of restoration right there. When everything sad becomes untrue and it's fully restored in all its glory. Let me conclude this way. Because I think there's a mistake or we can make the mistake of focusing on future glorification and then ignoring the world around us. While I do believe that our now needs to be governed by our then, we must not ignore our now. There is a future glorification that's promised, but there's also a present glorification that we can participate in. And there's a reason why our church is called Restoration Road. It fits the culture and things like that, but for, my, for me it gives us a picture of what we're about. A picture of our future restoration that we must never, ever forget but also a responsibility to see God being glorified right now as we restore things aligning with His Word and His designs and His plan. It's our mission until the day Jesus returns or we return to Him to bring more glory into our lives individually, into our homes, and into our city. And our name reminds us simply of our true identity 
of our true mission and of our true home. We live out who we are in Christ. And as we do that, we will reflect God's glory more and more and you will begin to see the world around you experience a restoration of its own. It's not our job to restore hearts. It's our job to show what a restored heart looks like. So we show the world through how we live and actually being close enough for them to see something better by how we think. We show them something better by how we live and we show them something better by how we serve. And we show them something better by how we love and we show them something better by how we give. And we show them something better even by how we suffer. Here's what it comes down to. We show them what it looks like to live with a people who truly have hope that cannot be taken away even if I lose everything. That's what they need to see. As I said, it's not our job to restore hearts. We don't have that power. We're just charged with showing them what restored hearts look like and what restored marriages look like and what restored use of money looks like as we align everything according to how God wanted us to do it. Yeah, we fall, we fail, we screw up, we don't do it perfectly, but we get up and we continue to endeavor. And we get up and the Spirit continues to empower us. And we get up and one of the best things we can show is that, yep, we are saved by grace and we stink. But God is good. And God will persevere. And my assurance is based off His perseverance towards me, not my perfect faith towards Him. Because that fails. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank You. We praise You. We bless You. We magnify